Listen now for the gospel lesson as I read from Matthew chapter 9, 35, and into the first few verses of chapter 10. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles, first Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, open my lips that I might declare your praise and open our minds and our hearts and our ears to the whispers and movements of your Holy Spirit that we might receive with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A week or so ago, Neil and I watched a documentary by Carl Reiner in which he was exploring what life is like after 90 with some of his best cronies like Dick Van Dyke and others. All of them were full of energy, had a great attitude about life, and as Neil and I watched it, and I propped up with my 60-something-year-old knee on a pillow, I thought, girl, you got to get a different attitude. <laughs> Part of the thinking about that was coming because yesterday marked a significant day in our lives. I have been serving as the pastor of Brooklyn United Methodist Church for the last nine years, and yesterday was my last day with them. My appointment there will conclude at the end of the month, but yesterday was the last official Sunday. And we had a wonderful time of celebration and remembering all that God has been doing in the last nine years in our lives and among us. I was reminded of one of the particular uh, sections in the documentary as I was thinking about what I would share with folks yesterday. And it was a comment by Norman Lear in which he said there are two words that are not used often enough in the English language. The words are not, and I thought he would say, thank you and please, yes, and you were nodding, and some of the people in congregation yesterday, I knew they thought that's what I was going to say. But that's not what he said. He said the words are over and next. And he said one of the things that we don't consider strongly enough in our culture is what is over so that we can move toward what is next. We have a hard time 
letting go of that which is long past or needs to be, even if it's in the recent past, released so that we can move forward. Lear went on to say that we could consider it an an image that would help us with this to be two trees, one tree named over and the other tree named next and swung between them a hammock. And he said that would be what it means to live in this moment between that which is over and that which is next. When I read the stories of Abraham and Sarah, and I read this seemingly divergent gospel lesson of Jesus with the 12 disciples, you may be wondering how in the world is that going to be tied to something about over and next? But I have a feeling that Sarah and Abraham were caught in that place of thinking that some things were way over for them in their lives. And I have a feeling that the disciples may have been only listening for what's next. And that neither one of them, neither of the stories, help us to catch a glimpse of those who are learning what it means to be in the moment of God's grace, kind of swinging in the hammock, waiting to see how it is that we are to move forward and away from that which is already past so that we might move toward what God has next for us. It is, that's a dramatic storm. It is on this very day, Juneteenth, as I am reminded, that there was a group of folks a part of our American history, folks who were not being notified that something was over. Their long term of suffering and their long term of being enslaved. The slaves in Galveston, Texas did not know until two months after the Civil War on June the 19th, 1865, and did not know that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed two and a half years before that, declaring their freedom as persons in this country. There are a lot of stories about why that might have been, either that the messenger got murdered on his way to Texas or that the information was deliberately withheld in order to maintain the labor force on the plantations or that the federal troops waited on purpose Um, so that the landowners could get their last cotton crop in before the news was given. Some of it's true, some of it's not true, but it doesn't really matter what part is true or not true. The statement of the facts are that they did not know until long after that they had already been set free. It is... For us in this moment, I think, with the story of Abraham and Sarah and the story of Jesus' disciples being given a tremendous kind of authority and tremendous tasks that they would be doing in the name of bringing forth the kingdom, as Jesus has announced the kingdom is in your midst, and with the story of those who were celebrating Juneteenth, that all of us are kind of caught in this piece of misinformation 
about that which is over and that which is next and what it means to live in this moment. I am reminded when I look at these texts and at others that there are some basic kinds of truths that are evidenced in them. One is the human capacity to ask questions, significant questions like, why so long, Lord? I can imagine Sarah. If I was Sarah, I'd have been saying, why'd you wait till now? Don't you know how much anguish I've been through all these years of infertility? Don't you know how we tried to arrange this thing with the handmaiden? Don't you know, God, how much suffering we've already endured? Why not tell us it's the waiting is over for such a long time? And where was God in the midst of the difficulty? And where was God in the midst of our time of trial? I can imagine that the disciples, too, as they are rushing to be eagerly engaged in the work that Jesus is giving them to do, that they're running ahead and they may not be remembering all the instruction he's been giving them, all the modeling he's been giving them, what he's been showing them about what it means to be present to those who are in front of them in the moment. We're pretty human. We've got a lot of questions. Why and how and when and where? And God, will you show me? Neil and I, in this stage of transition in our lives, have been asking for a while, and my prayer has been, could you just drop a banner? If you'll just show me what it is you want me to do, I promise I will do it. But part of the journey is in the waiting. Part of the journey is in the listening. Part of the journey is in being still long enough in the hammock that you can hear what the lessons are to be learned from that which is over and that which is to be next. If I don't pay attention and fully let go of what is over, I cannot possibly take with me those lessons into this moment and discern from that then what is next. There's another piece in these stories that I think is really important for us as we think about what's in between the over and the next and in this moment. And that is that I must find a way to listen to what God will say to me through others around me. It's not just my own voice. Abraham has three visitors, right? There are three persons representing God's presence, and he must hear this message in more than one way. I must not just depend on my own capacity to discern and to hear what it is that God will do next. And the other thing is that I believe we often look for those positions. How many of you, well, I'll just put you on record here. How many of you have been in a discernment process about what your next position of employment was going to be? Been been in a discernment process for position, a, a position, your next position for employment. Yep, right? Right, okay. Or perhaps you've been in a discernment process about what your next relationship was supposed to be. 
Or perhaps you've been in a um, discernment process about what the next place is that you're supposed to live or move or work, right? We tend to move in those realms when we're discerning position, relationship, place. Dean Kenny, Dean John Kenny, said to me in a conversation recently, as we were talking about what might be next in our lives, I'm going to continue at the School of Theology this next year and looking very forward to that. But as we were talking about what might be next, Dean said, Lynn, I don't know what will be next for you. If it'll be a place, if it'll be a position, perhaps it's actually going to be neither one of those. Perhaps what God has next for you is about an experience and your relationship with God. I have to tell you, that's the first time anybody's ever raised that question for me in the midst of discernment. That it might not be about moving anywhere. It might not be about doing anything differently than what you're already doing. But it's the interior difference. I think that is, even though there's going to be a baby born into Abraham and Sarah's life, and even though the disciples are going from place to place as Jesus has been going, I think in both of those stories, that's the bottom line of letting go of what's over and moving to what's next, is that in the moment when God speaks to them, God is inviting Abraham and Sarah into a new relationship with God, into a new kind of experience in their relationship with God. And I believe that is what Jesus is calling the disciples to. He's giving them work to do, but it's not just about doing the work. Lord, have mercy. We've got the work thing down. We know how to do the work thing. We are so driven. We know that in the local church. We know it at Richmond Hill. Don't we? Yeah. The work thing. There's always the work to be done. I think the call in the stories, the subtext, beneath the text, in the text, is that God is calling us to a different experience. And if we will trust that what is over is as fully in God's hands as what is next is fully in God's hands, then perhaps we will be able to rest in that hammock of this moment, trusting that the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God will not let you go. God is the hammock. He's not going to let you go. So you can trust Him as He's faithfully held the past and fully holds the future, that God will indeed carry you forward into that new arena, environment, atmosphere, of what it means to be ever more fully in the presence, ever more fully embraced by the grace of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.